This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 467. And the quote of the day is, Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's happening? Nick Ruffini here, episode 467. I hope you're cool. And for those of you who I met at NAMM, uh, thanks for thanks for coming to the Dream Hang. And it was cool. I got to hang out with uh, Scott Pellegrom as well and Nikki Bags. I've never met Nikki Bags before, so that was cool. Um, and yeah, it was, it's, it's always great meeting people in person and putting a face with the name or just getting to have more than a one-way conversation with me behind a mic and, and you listening. So if I didn't get to meet you at NAMM, uh, there will be other opportunities for sure. And uh, a quick – I feel like I want to address something really quickly. I, I get some comments. Uh, there's been some stuff that's been posted about, about me interrupting my guests and uh, these – quote unquote interviews have always been meant to be conversations and sometimes in conversations you interrupt people and I think it's the same way when playing on stage that I think sometimes you interrupt the other person playing not that I'm saying that it's good but I understand that that's part of a conversation and so these were these episodes were never meant to be an interview where I ask questions and I sit back and listen to the answer it's more of an engaging dialogue that I want to be part of the conversation and not just uh, like I said just reading questions so I am actively trying not to interrupt my guests I promise you that I'm not it's not happening from an egotistical standpoint or anything like that it's just sometimes I get excited and I want to interject so uh, for those of you who bothers, I apologize. That's the way I talk. Like if you have a conversation with me in real life, I get, you know, I get excited sometimes and I interrupt people. And uh, it's definitely a character flaw and it's definitely something that I don't tend to do or I don't do on purpose and I'm conscious of it and I'm trying to fix it. But it's also me and that is my true personality coming through in these conversations. So I just want to let you know that I've heard your comments. They've been noted and uh, I'm working – to at least be conscious of it, but I'm not necessarily going to say that I'm going to stop being me behind the microphone in these conversations. Uh, so just wanted to address that. And I appreciate the feedback. I love hearing the good, the bad, the ugly about the podcast. So if you haven't already, leave a rating or review. Let me know your thoughts on this podcast or just reach out. You know, you can email me or whatever you want. Anyway. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into this conversation. This is with Andrew Campanelli and PJ Howard from The Revivalist. These are two guys that play drums in the band, which I think is an amazing thing, kind of like the Allman Brothers did or The Dead or Tedeschi Trucks Band. And it's interesting because JP wasn't always in the band, and now that he is, they talk about how they sort of morphed into one sound and the reason why he ended up joining the band. Uh, the one hiccup in this conversation is about halfway through, PJ had to go. So it, there's the three of us talking, and then it just ends up being Andrew and I at the end. So if you're wondering why PJ uh, isn't answering any more questions, he's not there at the end of the interview. So uh, like I said, he had to run. So 
A quick note too, the revival is I've loved this band for a long time. I had Andrew Campanelli on earlier in episode 60, so a long time ago before uh, they were blowing up like they are. And I'm just extremely happy to see the rise of this band and them having two drummers to me is, is super cool. So a very, very insightful conversation about songwriting, about drumming, about working with other musicians, about the brotherhood or sisterhood or, or, or relationships that you need inside of, inside of a band and all those things. So a very very great conversation that we did here in person in LA before their show at the forum. And I'm rambling. Let's get into this conversation with me, Andrew Campanelli, and PJ Howard from The Revivalists. What's going on, everybody? We are in, uh, I guess we're like in Inglewood. California, right? We're, yeah, we're in Los Angeles. We're at the we're at this uh, hotel. We got we're in the library. So I'm just trying to paint a picture here. We're basically in a it's like a lunch room, right? Not a yeah, lunch feels, room, but like a feels like an uh, like a like, like a, a business room. room. Yeah, like a like a conference room. <laughs> well, we're getting we're getting down to business. So uh, I'm here with PJ Howard and Andrew Campanelli. And so Andrew, say hi. How you doing? PJ, say hi. Hey. So that way we know who's who. Yeah. So people are listening, like, I don't know who. I'm Nick. This is my voice, if you've never heard it before. Um, So we have, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Um, But first, let me just, I want to say this publicly, that I'm so thankful to be able to sit down with you guys because, as you know, like, Andrew, you and I have been in buds for a little while now, and, like, I've been a fan of the band for, you know, I don't know, 10 years now, eight years, you know? And just to see like the rise that you guys have have done in the last couple of years, and every time like there's another sold out show or a new song on the radio or something like it's all, like I feel like like it's like my hometown team or something. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny because I was I was actually re-listening to the uh, episode sixty that we did like in 2016 or something, and you're like. You're like, I don't want to say this is an up-and-coming band because, like, you know, they've been opening for Galactic, and so I feel like they're, like, already there, but I feel like they're going to get much bigger. <laughs> so it was great. To, it was just so fun to listen to that and kind of listen to where we both were at that point with mm-hmm. you with the podcast and, like, me with, with the band and just to see where that has come from since then. The interesting thing that, like, when when I, when you and I, I mean you and I've been talking about doing another another episode, and you were like, we definitely have to get PJ because when you you know when we first talked, PJ wasn't in the band, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, it wasn't that long ago that we did the interview. Yeah, it was like five years. Yeah, ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh my god, I, was, I thought you were like episode like two something. Yeah, you were right. Episode sixty, which yeah. is insane. And like, quick backstory: the the way that I even found out about you guys, I saw David playing with Galactic. I'm friends with Stanton Moore. We're hanging out backstage. But I was like, dude, I was like, you, you're an amazing singer. He's like, oh, you should check out my band called The Revivalist. I was like, done. Went home, listened to it, and I've been a fan ever since. So um, so congratulations on everything that you guys have been doing. Man, the tour is amazing. This summer you guys sold out Red Rocks, which is fucking insane. Unreal. Uh, two nights at the Beacon, yep. right? And then yep. you're here tonight. You're here. You're doing the forum, Ooh. which is like a... It's an iHeartRadio event with like the Killers and Muse and um, Weezer, so it's it's awesome. it's, uh, it's going to be pretty fun. So I want to get I want I want to ask both of you, um, what, and this is like a it's a weird question, but but I feel like I have to ask like you're you're gradually getting more recognition, you're gradually getting more famous, right? 
is that a weird thing to start to think about where like do you do you feel that at all like do you feel the pressure do you feel like you're becoming famous no like not really i feel it there's like a sense of just being grounded you know like i know who i represent you know i have a nephew out there he's 13 right so you know like like i'm the same person you know i i don't know nothing about the other stuff you know i'm all about like my grandmother, she is watching. She is, like, watching big time. Right. So when she sees, like, these things on the Today Show, oh, she's watching. You know, she's celebrating, <laughs> but she's going to make sure that I am on my P's and Q's and I am at the utmost of professionalism at all times. So, right, right, right. Ain't none of that funny business, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, it is interesting because, like, you know, as the, like, the things that you do notice is sort of, like, when you meet somebody and... They're like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm in this band. And then they're like, what's the band called? And you say it. And then they recognize it as opposed to before being like, eh, never heard of it. Right. You know, like those They're like, like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> what do you really do? Yeah, right. But what do you do to make money? <laughs> um, those, those things have started, you know, that has started to happen more. But it really is, the thing is, whenever anybody, you know, comes up and talks to us or is a fan, you know, comes up and says, oh, I'm a fan. Oh, I've seen you 20 times. I've seen you however... It's really like it is humbling. Like that person spent their hard-earned money on plane tickets, on concert tickets, and they—the reason that we get to do what we get to do—is because of them. You right. know, so like it, it really—it's like I really feel like a just like a great sense of gratitude mm-hmm. towards them. Like it's just like, oh, you've seen us twenty times. Like, thank you. Like right. really, from the right. bottom of my heart. Like, thank you for coming. And so it's. I think that that's sort of like the thing, you know, we, as, after Wish I Knew You kind of like hit the radio mm-hmm. last year, um, you know, there's, there's a whole different level of things that happen once right. you have a song that gets onto the radio. And then you're sort of, you get into this club where the next, you know, then we put out Wish I Knew You and the, or we put out All My Friends and, and, that was the most added song um, on the Billboard charts that week. Right. You know, so like... I remember you posting something, you were like, oh my God, thank God we're not a one-hit wonder. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, but it's funny because it is like that, like it took us years of, of, of pushing, which I knew you, of going to every radio station, loading seven people into the little radio station booth you know, a third the size of this wonderful conference room, um, and and playing and, and really bringing it to these radio stations one at a time. Right. And then once they get to know you, it's it's a relationship based business. Mm-hmm. You know, so like once they get to know you, there's a person who's choosing to put it on the radio or not, and right. they're like, oh, I like those guys. Like, let's I'll actually listen to the song. And then if they're like, oh, I like the song, it's not even a hard decision. It's oh, play it on the radio. Right. You know. Right. So like. You put in those years of those ten years of grinding, you know, of 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 touring, getting up while you're on tour, getting up at seven a.m. to go make an extra stop at a radio station, mm-hmm. going out of your way to especially f- spend twelve hours on a plane yesterday to fly yep. to L.A. to play the iHeartRadio, you know, event. Like those things are, um, those things. The value in that is that you're building these relationships. You know, it's right. like. 90% of the iceberg is underwater. Yeah. You know, yeah, so sure. like you have like when you when the 10% that peaks out, it's like, oh, there's this band's just like I want, you know, I would I want to be in that club, I want to be on the radio or whatever. And right. it's like that that's the kind of thing that it takes, you know, 
to have them even consider playing is going there and meeting the people and being like, you know, being personable and and that then you have then you have to have something that they want to play. But right. like, <laughs> but but it's so Good much of paramount. a yeah. But it's so much of a relationship based thing that like you gotta you gotta do all that work. Right. And I think it's easy for people to look at you know something on Instagram and see you guys playing at Red Rocks or the Beacon or whatever. And it's like, oh man, you know, whatever. They're they're lucky that they get. Sure, they're. I mean, I would say fortunate, right? But it's not luck. It didn't just happen. Nobody knocked on your door and we're like, hey, do you guys want to uh, be in this band and like we'll we'll put you at rent? No, it's like like you said, twelve hour flight. You know, stopping at the radio, doing it for ten years. Yeah. Because I remember, you know, you guys were in a van. We were in a van. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I remember like when you so like fanboy a little bit like I like I'm a fan right so like I I remember watching you guys like get to a bus right and it was like and then the venues are getting bigger and and all that kind of stuff it's like yeah that that just that's not just like it's as my dad always says it's not FM it's not fucking magic yeah right it's hard work well it's it's so when you say it's not it's not luck I, I mean yeah I think that there's there's a few instances here and there that I would say are luck and those those instances, I would say, are meeting the right people that you could live in a van with for 10 years that you don't get sick of while you're, while we're, you know, the first years of touring. We're actually putting everything back into the band and nobody's taking anything personally at all. Right. Um, and, you know, living together through those experiences, like just randomly meeting the right people. That, that you can get along with like that, mm-hmm. that also happen to be musically like-minded enough to right. want to be creative with for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how many creative partnerships have you had with even one person that last 10 years? Right, And right. let alone, like, having a creative partnership with eight people. Right, right. Um, that, that continues to grow and change and, and, you know, and you adjust it. But, like, we're in this together. It's a family and... But we've all chosen and to be here creatively together, mm-hmm. and you have to tr- you have to really trust each other. So like meeting those right people, and PJ is you know the most recent addition to this. Right. But that we talk about this all the time with like you know he coming into a situation where there's already somebody playing the drums, and have having been there for ten years, and you know. It's. I mean, it's got to be the right fit. Like. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. It's like. Um, first thing is like this is my friend. You know, first mm-hmm. and foremost, like there's a relationship there. You know, it it would be hard to, you know, to to like play or to be a contribution to this music, and you don't like the person, you know, that you're working with. Right. So it's easy to communicate and to connect. But one of the main thing is just, like, to approach the music, like, with open hands, you know, to serve. You know, right. how may I be a contribution to this song that has been played, you know, for maybe 10 years, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not about stepping on anybody's toes. It's just right. like, you know, what, could, what can I do to take it to the next level? Right. And 
I think that's what we approach every night. Yeah, I mean, I really can, I, I really feel that way, like with, you know, sitting next to each other and we, we set our kits up so close that we can, I can play his cymbals and he can, we can play each other's toms. Yeah, and yeah. That's like a very, that's an intentional part of the way we set up that we're right there together. Like he has a tambourine on his kit where he'll hit it on the two and I'll hit it on the four, you know? <laughs> and we're, you know, trying to speak with, one voice right. on the drums right. and really come together and so like me playing songs that I've played for 10 years now with this other element here it makes it forces you to think in new ways mm -hmm. and we have to do that on the bus we have to do that in the practice space we have to like understand each other as musicians we did one day of rehearsal and then we just said all right coming on tour now you know so like we just being a live band like we figured out how to be a band on stage so we might as well figure out how to be a band with two drummers on stage it's the only way to it's the only way to do it right the yeah. only, only way to get better playing live is by playing live exactly and so you know we've done like and then we'll have like times we're fortunate on this tour where we've been playing the kind of venues and we have an amazing crew and we've been setting up those little atomic cocktail kits where we can practice mm -hmm. at, like in the venue right. and warm up and so like having those Having those moments to like be there in the rehearsal space um, and thinking about and talking about the same concepts and how, you know, just understanding PJ as a person and he understanding me as a person mm -hmm. kind of really is what allows us to get into that space together. Mm -hmm. Where now, like, you know, he, he can start to do a fill and he'll be, he'll be coming around the toms, you know one way and then I'll know where he's going and I'll come and I'll, I'll go the other way and I'll finish my fill on like the Pandera while he's fi finishing on the floor tom and like we can just we can sync up on like those types of things right after doing it in a show setting for a while yeah because after a while you just sort of not that the what the person is playing is predictive, but you know from playing with someone, it's a, it's no different than playing with you know a bass player or organ player or anything like that. It's like I oh okay I know where you're going with this. I would you I know, would like, say it's actually much better than playing with a bass player. Right? No, I'm just kidding. It's no, it's it it is exactly yeah. I mean we're all playing music. We're all out there playing music and listening is the most important thing in in any no matter who you're playing with mm -hmm. you know and so. You have to really be listening to everyone on stage, right? Um, that and and but you know having another person playing the drums up there has made me really rethink some songs that I've been doing for ten years. And then in, in last March we went in to make the record, um, and we did that together. And we were side by side in the studio, no baffles between us. You know, just both playing, and you just you really have to. You really have to lock in and figure out your parts. Especially in the studio. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can get away with certain things live. Not, right. Not in the studio. No. You know. Studio it, is an unforgiving beast. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I want to, like, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but PJ, give me, give me a little bit of, of your backstory. You mentioned that you're, you're from Chicago. I'm interested to hear your journey and how you ended up, you know, coming into the fold and joining the band and, and all that. So, so you grew up in Chicago. Yeah, right? I grew up. Like the Chicagoland area, um, so I met the band through my funk band called The Herd. Mm -hmm. So in the recent podcast, um, I've heard you speak of through the Master Sounds mm -hmm. and Let Us, my band would open up for those bands all the time. Oh, nice. Yep. So like in the jam band scene, you know, I finally met 
the revivalist in Andrew. So maybe about four to five years ago, the herd did a show with Dave Shaw, which is the singer of the revivalist, and Zach Feinberg, and he is the guitarist for the revivalist. So it was those two guys, and it was the herd. So we did a show. We had a good time. It was mm-hmm. in Pensacola, Florida. And ever since then, you know, we've all been friends. You know, Dave, um, throughout those years, he would just randomly, you know, shoot me a text or call me and just to check up on me. I thought that that was, like, really, really, really cool, you know, because he wasn't, you know, he was just, just sending love. Mm-hmm. And that love, that grew into, like, a friendship. And that friendship, that that grew, you know, into, like, a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. So just fast-forwarding, now it's like I'm sitting next to my brother, you know? Right. So it's amazing. So you knew David before you knew Andrew, then? Well, we all knew each other from the from the like just you know, the days with the herd, yeah, yeah. Like the sax player in the herd is Lucas Elman, Ben's cousin. Okay. So you know Ben was producing our records. He told us about the band. I actually knew about the herd before PJ was even their drummer, and then oh, yeah. PJ became the drummer. And so like then I started to hear about PJ. Um, but the way in the way that he ended up joining the band actually was like. Um, was it two years ago? We were just talking about this, like today. Mm-hmm. Like we, so I had um, from the ten years of loading our own gear and driving the van and all that, I ended up getting two hernias. So I had to have surgery. Oh. Um, so I was out for six weeks. And PJ, like a few Januarys ago, PJ was um, tapped to fill in. So he he filled in um, in, in you know while I was out. And then, you know, everybody knew him just from being in the herd. Mm-hmm. And then they were playing with him. And we had all these parts on our records. Like, Mike Dillon was all over our, our, our last record. Right. And we had all these, like, kind of elements that we would add in the studio where there's percussion and there's other parts. And then, like, the way he plays the drum set is, like, is different than I do. And so having him in that role, it was just, like, Let's get him to come in, play percussion, sing, and have him do what he really does, play the drum set. Right. Because you know? so like, I, I, I wanted to ask you, and I apologize for interrupting. In, in the beginning, when you two started playing together, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't you just playing percussion, or did you always have a kit? Yeah? You always had a kit. Yeah, so I wish was, that you guys could have just seen Andrew just wave me off with his finger. He's no, like, no, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was always a. It was always it was part a, of the play. It was always a kit. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I, I, yeah. I thought that for some reason you were playing percussion and then and then you like grew into a, a kit on. Okay. So the kit is like a hybrid kit, you know. So mm-hmm. it has. Um, I'm playing like my toms on the right, so it's like a 12, 14, 16 on the right, mm-hmm. and then there's uh, you know, bongos and the conga, so it's on the left. I got so you. So it's always been like a like a good combination of both, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm like a drummer first. So, as a drummer, I always hear, like, all these other rhythms and, you know, just things to propel the groove. Right. And now it's like, you know, so being a drummer all the time, we always have to, like, drive the band, you know, keep everybody locked in. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, you know, other than having four limbs, I got eight, you know? Right. I have eight. So it's like, okay, now I can play all the other things that I wish I could play, you know? That's in a track. We don't need a track anymore, you know? Yeah. There was no track. So now it's like, okay. That's really interesting that you say that. That you're like, man, I can't get to these things. Now I have Andrew to do that or vice versa. You're yeah. like, I can't get to these things. Now I have PJ to get to those for me. It's fun. Which and is like, like a really, 
It's a really interesting thing when you think about it that way. And you really get to learn, you really get to learn like the way the other person thinks when you hear that. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, that's how you're hearing like these other elements of the groove. And so like you start playing, he starts playing, you know, a bongo pattern. He's playing tambourine and bongo. And then all of a sudden he just does a tom fill and then he goes back to, you know, back to tambourine right. and, and, and bongos. And it's like, oh, this is, it's just, it's, and then like he does that you know, say three times on one song, and then we hit that time field together. Right. You know, I'm like, oh, you were hearing that there where I wasn't. Mm. And I gotta be, I gotta imagine there's times where you're feeling the time differently than you are. Like, have there been times where you're like, oh, you're kind of like this, I feel like you're swinging this a little more than oh, I definitely. am, or like, or you're feeling like we should be pushing and you feel like mm -hmm. it should be dragging or vice definitely. versa. That kind of stuff happens, yeah, all the time. So how do you how do you do how do you work through that or do you just let it naturally? We sit close enough to just look. We sit about as yeah, close as we're sitting right now, and we just like look at each other and they're very close. In case yeah, <laughs> we, we look at each other and it's like we you know one person leans back, so mm -hmm. we sit back. One person pushes forward, so we push forward. You know, right. it's just we. So you watch body just, language. We just talk too. about yeah. it basically on stage. Yeah. Um, and if yeah, if ever there's something that like really starts to get like. A little squirrely, we just look at each other confused, <laughs> and, then we, and then and then we just everything yep. just we just simplify. <laughs> I'm just thinking like I'm, I'm picturing one of you looking at the other and being like, "I thought you had the answer." It's like, oh, "I thought you had the answer." And you're like, "Oh shit!" Now we just all right, we just got it. Somebody stop playing or something. Well, yeah, we're, we're just like simplified, just groove. We just, mm -hmm. we just yeah, just groove. That, that's the signal. We yeah. just like just straight up, just just. Just leave it right there in the pocket and then keep moving. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So whose whose idea was it initially to have have you in the band touring as a, like was did some did you group, bring it up? It was or sort of a group decision. Um, it was like it it was like yeah. I mean, we basically we were just talking about ways to ways to improve. It was we're playing bigger venues mm -hmm. where. We've got, you know, the success of like this song where the profile's bigger and we need to like fill this new space. If we're right. going on a trajectory where we're gonna be playing Red Rocks, we're gonna be playing this, we're gonna be playing that, there's elements of the of the songs that we have. Like like I said, like Mike Dillon is all over that stuff. Like there's tambourine tracks on the record before mm -hmm. Mike Dillon. There's all kinds of stuff like that. And then not only that, but like as we've as we have learned, you know, when you hit two bass drums perfectly in sync, right. it's like, it's much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it's was, cool and was part of that, like, you didn't want to, you, you don't want to use tracks or triggers or anything like that? There's a big part of that. I mean, yeah. we use like, a, we use, there's one song where we use like a trigger or two, right. um, but it's really only one song now. Um, and that's because PJ is singing and playing tambourine, and so we use like one, we use a kick drum trigger on all my friends. But honestly, I'm pretty sure he mutes that in the house all yeah, the time. Yeah, I don't even think he's even uh, heard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, that's, that is a big part of what we do. It's like, you know, being like, from the beginning, like the name The Revivalists was right. sort of, it was, it was multifaceted. You know, um, we had, I, I was actually listening to our podcast and we talked about this last time, but like, it, I remember it came from like you know this thing about the came from this thing about the Bruce Springsteen document you know sixty minutes piece where it said he played with the Revivalists forever so it had this element of the live show right. that was always a major part of it 
it also kind of get acknowledged that we were living in this city that was we watched you know being a community building up around music mm-hmm. you know and it was really like a something that the whole city needed at that time in New Orleans in 2007 like so there was like a a revival going on in mm-hmm. the city and it was largely music based right um and, and you guys are sort of you're like a new sound that came out of the city. Well, yeah, I mean that that was just happenstance. We just sort of <laughs> we were just writing the songs that we wanted to write. Right. But that idea that kind of we the music that we loved was like you know bands that played the beginning. bands right. that played like bands that were like from the sixties seventies you know bands that were not playing with tracks. Right. Um, and like we don't we're not really like don't down on bands that play with tracks it just kind of isn't really our thing right and it's actually funny because when we started to go to these radio stations and we would play you know we would load everybody into this little studio and we would play like we would get these like the radio programmers would be like oh oh they're they're jamming like (laughs) oh they're they're just playing their instruments (laughs) and like it it hadn't dawned on me to that point that like most, most of the radio don't. bands that like go in there with a hit song, they're not just like going in newly like playing around and like playing together. Mm-hmm. They like go in, they play their one song. Maybe there's tracks, maybe there's nots, but they play like the song that they're there to play, right. and that's it. But like when we go to a radio station to play one song, it's just one of our songs, right? You know, right, and, right. and and. and what we do is we play live and we play together. So that kind of like, the name was sort of talking, uh, you know, looking back on music of, you know, a, a previous era that we just really liked. Right. Uh, so yeah, as part of that is like, we didn't, yeah, we didn't want to just play to a tambourine track with bongos in it, you know, or yeah. whatever. That just like felt not right. Mm-hmm. It's just not very New Orleans. You know, it's a good way of saying it. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it was. It was definitely like a. It was a group sort of like, at all at the same time, kind of being like, let's. We need to add another person. You know, we added. Zach was like, we got three guitar players. You know, like, <laughs> and, and and since then it's been like, you know, I've been. That's actually how I think about it. It's like people are like, what's it like to have a new drummer? What's it like to have like another guy come in and. Is that are you guys competitive? And mm-hmm. that can be further from yeah. the case. Well, I was going to ask that because I think human nature is that whether you know whether you're playing you know the same things or like whether he's filling in for you when you're sick or whatever you know when you had your surgery and everything. I feel like there there's some human nature where it's like somebody like almost like let me establish my dominance here, mm-hmm. like yeah, like you know. Like so, there was none of none of that, or no, it's it's like see, that goes back to like just Andrew is a good humble person too. Like he's a he's a he's a cool cat. So it's like like um, let me get my head back together. Um, can you pause a second? Just got we'll just what? chop it. Well, just I mean, no. we were talking about uh, talking about that. Like talking about the the openness of being Hold on, a musician second. at all, you know. Whew. This is when that sickness is kicking. Give me one second. Yeah. 
But so we're talking about like the like the dominance thing. So there's there's nothing like that. So it's all about like being like how may we be a contribution to the music? Mm-hmm. How may we serve the music? And like that's what we approach every night. And trying to trying to be like over dominant is not how you play music. Within, if you're trying to play over somebody, whether it's the bass player or the organ player or anybody, that's not that's not like PJ said. Like that's not how you serve the music. Right. And so, you know, playing playing together, like two people playing together and playing simply, are but playing locked in, playing together is the the energy of one person combining with the energy of another person is more powerful than really any one person, be it. Thomas Prison or whoever it is, mm-hmm. just playing by themselves. Right. You know, the thing that's something that like that moves people. As musicians, we want to move people. So if that's the goal, then and that comes from New Orleans. That mm-hmm. comes from like you know the very spiritual element of the music in New Orleans. But just playing music at all, if that's the goal to move people, that's what that's what an audience responds to is two people on stage and their their will, their energy combining for a common goal, right? And, and they're doing this thing together. They're without talking, they're in tune with each other through some some form of magic, you know, it looks right, like. Right. And then you add a third. And then you get up to eight. Mm-hmm. You know? And so like that is that fills a space in a much more vibrant way. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, we you need to be open. You know, you need to be open right. with anyone that you play with, and that is something that, like, I admit that PJ just, uh, you know, as as a person, he's just an open and just like heartfelt individual. He wants to really listen and understand, and I think that that's where we both kind of come from musically and and just personally. You mm-hmm. know, just it's like a it is a conversation. It's a language, right. and it's a conversation, and if one person is just talking and dominating the conversation, then they lose out on the benefit of what the other person has to say. Right, right. It's just, For sure. it, and it's not as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you approach going into a situation where the band has been together for a long time, there's another drummer in there who's still going to be there. It's not like you're replacing the drummer. Um, and I understand that you have to serve the music, but like, what was your what was your mindset going into it, and and what were some of like the obstacles that you had to overcome? Because I I got to imagine there's a whole new set of challenges when you're playing with with another drummer. Open ears, just approach it, just with open hands, open ears. Don't be married, like I'm not married to like you know anything you know specific. It's just okay, you know, what can I do? You know, how mm-hmm. can I take it to the next level? So if he's playing just like a pocket groove, you know, how can I propel that groove? You know, how can I add motion and colors to the groove? You know, it's not about, you know, like a 30-second note feel. You know, it's about, like, you know, what can get the crowd moving just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, how can we put some motion in that ocean? Right. Mm-hmm. Were, were, there, were there any obstacles or things that you struggled with, or was it just like a natural thing for you? Um, it felt supernatural. Yeah, like like it felt not like supernatural, but it was. Like <laughs> it was supernatural. Yeah, no, 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 it was too, it was very natural. You know, just like we said, there was only one um one um one practice session. Yeah, and we just went for it. 
That that's what that blows my mind. Well, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it, I, I can just I'm just thinking of like a few things, like one one specifically being so PJ plays open handed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he had to shed. I remember, you know, he had to shed playing with the bongos where his rack time would be, and the conga like on the left, and playing percussion patterns while playing, you know, hat and snare patterns, mm-hmm. like. That's not something you'd ever done before, right? Mm-hmm. So that wasn't really like an obstacle. Like you never struggled with it, but it was something that like you were you were specifically working on for like this situation. Mm-hmm. I, I remember it, and yeah, I mean that. So what? One thing he said a minute ago about like not being married to any of the like married to any one idea or any one part, but being open like. That I think goes double for me because, like, sometimes I'm like, I've been doing it this way for 10 years, but like, together, there's actually a better way that we can do it. Like, mm. I can now pull back and play a little more simply and let you fill in that space, or we can kind of change up the groove of what, the, what I was doing by myself because of how you're hearing it, and like, maybe that lets it sit a little better, right? And we can do this together. It, but like, being like, no, this is how it's done is not a very good way to approach that right and sort of being like you know one of the obstacles for me was sort of being like let me let me break down this stuff i've been doing for 10 years and just like and reopen it up and retool some of it and it's you know being like i'm just used to doing this this way so it's going to take me a second to unlearn what I've been doing and then like and let's go now let's go at it again you know I'm but not being like man we're changing my parts or where we're doing anything Mm -hmm. no feeling like that just like it's just going to take me a second to to unlearn and then sometimes like we'll be up there and I'll do the thing that I've been doing and it's like well we'll just look at each other and be like well well there was that one (laughs) (laughs) and 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 I mean that's like that's part of that's part of like being in in a band and, mm-hmm. and having you know a good time with the people that you're up there with. And I would imagine the the entire band has to adjust to that. Like everyone has to have that mindset because I'm sure there's things that are happening that you know David may not be used to hearing while he's singing or whatever. not not that it's good or bad. It's just different. And yeah. It's like, oh, okay. There's a there's this other thing happening. I think as a band we've we've we're pretty used to that kind of thing. We're mm-hmm. like. We're like, you know, we used to play these shows. We had, we, early on, we had like maybe an hour of material and we right. used to play these three hour shows. So we'd have to just like extend here and there, right. like what we could. And so like every night something was different mm-hmm. or like, you know, we have like 50 songs or something. So like, you know, if like, if you're given a speech, right, mm-hmm. and you forget your first word. Right. You're done. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you know what everything is. You've prepared this. These are your thoughts. But, like, the flow of the thing comes from the first word. So, like, sometimes Dave's up there and, like, you know, he's whatever happens, he blanks on the first word. And it's like he goes into, say, like, the middle of it. He'll, like, cut to the middle of the verse or something or maybe halfway, you know, halfway through a verse, he, like, cuts to the thing. Then we all got to be like, well, well, are we going to the chorus now or are we staying to the form of the song? You know, and so right. we've gotten good at doing that on the fly. Right. And I'm not trying to throw Dave under the bus. I think that happens to anyone my, at the, any point. My I lead, mean, our lead singers should do it all the time. Yeah, it's just but, being a musician. Sometimes we were like, stage, we're, your brain freezes <laughs> up, you know? But a lot of times we were just ruthless. We're like, no, it's like we're still going where we were going. Right. And he, like, we're like, you got, 
So then, but Which I don't think is the best way to do well, it. Well, that's either. what I was going to say, because like, there were times, like, I think that that's how we settled on this way of, of dealing with that, is like, because we would do that, but then it wasn't good for the song. Like, when the singer goes to the chorus, it's better if we all go to the chorus. Right. You know instead I mean? of being like, yeah, instead you of being like, yeah, there. you shouldn't have gone there. It's <laughs> like, we need to all adjust together. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that kind of, that kind of, like, the band as a whole has been doing that kind of stuff since the beginning and like you know it happens all the time it happened at the beacon where like we're you know we're we're in a solo section and you know and one person starts to like cue the end and then the guy solo and just turns around and shakes his head and shakes it off we just you keep going keep going <laughs> through and then you find that you know the next spot and you just follow each other you mm-hmm. know it's it's a it's a musical conversation, and then it's sometimes a literal conversation. <laughs> right, right. Well, there's I think there's a or I know that there's a difference between playing in a pop band, playing with tracks, triggers, you know, sequencers, all that stuff, where you're like, this is the tune. Mm-hmm. But like, you, the revivalists are. Uh, I mean, for lack of a better word, like it's a jam band. It's not, but yeah. but it fits in that realm. I should say. Right. So it's like like you're saying things could be different every night. The song may be seven minutes. It may be nine minutes. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Or we'll... Yeah, I mean, we have... We, that's that's especially true of this song. We have Soul Fight. We play it, like... The other night, we probably played a four-and-a-half-minute version. Of, that might be the shortest we've ever played that song. But yeah. we, there's a... You know, Beacon's a union stage. Can't mm-hmm. go over time. We had right. another song we wanted to play. Right. So everybody got a third of their normal solo. Like, you yeah. know, like... And it's just, like, that's how we did it. But you can't do that if you're playing the tracks. Mm-hmm. You can't, like... And I think that that is getting back to like why we didn't want to play with tracks. We just we wanted the freedom to do that kind of stuff. Right. And I think it, for me, my personal opinion, I think it deliver one. I think it's it's better for the guy for everyone in the band because it's it keeps everyone sort of on their toes, keeps them interested and all that. But I think it makes a better fan experience too, where especially if you go like I would never want to go see. Uh, pick any pop name out of a hat like Justin Timberlake right I love Justin Timberlake mm-hmm. I'd love to go see Justin Timberlake I don't want to see him 20 times because it's going to be the same exact show every time I can go see you guys 20 times sure you may play the same songs like for the most part yeah. it's going to be a totally different show Yeah, different vibe different you know longer shorter different solos you know Oh yeah, oh, that's a- definitely, and we, that's actually something that we did because where I would you mentioned on uh, you mentioned it a second ago, you know I don't I don't consider us like a jam band, mm-hmm. but we did come from that world, right? You know, and right. so we have no, you know, we used to tour with Galactic, we used to tour with Government Mule, touring with Government Mule, you can't play the same set every night because a lot of those people were there last night, right? And so that taught us, and we watched them not play the same set every night you Mm -hmm. know like so that taught us the importance of that not only you get a few people following you know coming from show to show so you don't want to give them the same experience because then they're just gonna be like well i'm not gonna come show to show i'll just see them when they come to my town right but also then the word starts to spread and now we have this great group of fans that like they've organized themselves into like a fan group called the rev heads and they like they do their own they do secret Santas and they do meetups awesome. and they do all this. It's a whole community based that like we couldn't have planned. They just did it themselves. But it came so from the cool. people that just started to come see us like night to night because they were getting a different experience. Right. And so then they started to 
they started to have a different experience night to night, not only because of us, but because of these people that they consider their friends, their family that they've met, you know, through the band. And right. in that way, it is a very like jam band type scenario, mm-hmm. even though I don't really consider our music to be that. It's just yeah, our I, fans I wouldn't consider that. it. I wouldn't <laughs> consider it either. I guess the way that the reason why I said that was because I think that you just like from a musical standpoint, you have more freedom on stage. No, yeah, I, right, sure, I you get that. I mean? Yeah, I think, and you have we, fans, and that we get go that a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, like, you're not a jam. You're not. You guys aren't just on stage like noodling endlessly for 45 minutes, right? You know, which can get very old very fast. You know, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, like no, no, totally, yeah. That's I mean, that is that is exactly. We are more about the song. Right. Like we love songs, songwriting. That is our thing. Like if you listen to our most recent record, um, never heard. Of it. No, take <laughs> take good care. Um, it, it, it's a like, great record, by the way. You should def- if you haven't listened to it by now, shame on you. <laughs> so, um, but there's a lot of like, you know, three four minute songs on there, and there's like a lot of a lot of the songs don't have any solos. Mm-hmm. It's just like we really love the craft of songwriting. And so I think that that is one of the things that has allowed our band to grow and to go into the spaces where we do have this community of fans that are, say, like, they have organized around traveling to see us and like like a jam band, but then we're also on the radio because mm-hmm. we love the craft of a song, but then we also love, you know, we're from New Orleans, we love playing live and we love making that interesting, so we have a three-minute song on the record that's like seven or eight minutes live. Live, right. And that feeds both sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you would mention you you got like the revivalist coming out of, you know, the history of bands that played at the Beacon and the Fillmore and all that kind of stuff, 60s, 70s bands. Uh, so that's that's sort of your take on, on the music. What's your take? So, like, what did you grow up listening to what what is your what's sort of your lineage of music because I don't know if they're the same or not but I think I'm going to say it before uh, before anyone says anything if they're different then I think that makes even more of an yeah. interesting combination if they're the same then then they're the same but if they're different then it makes it a lot more interesting yeah I, I grew up in church yeah you know I grew up on gospel music I grew up on R&B I grew up on hip-hop you know 90s hip-hop and um so I would like dissect the music. I just right. I just didn't listen to the drums or the guitar. I would listen to like how the organist would like even you know like like the rhythm that he taps those keys. You know, mm-hmm. I would listen to the harmonies in the, the choir from the altos, sopranos, all that. So I would dissect that music. So now, like pop music, rock music, country music, all that stuff. So. I listen to the music, I dissect that music, and now it's it's just inside of me. Right, right. So fast-forwarding myself to this year, it's like I can put all that stuff into one. So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like. Or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. 
And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff. And you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view. You can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator pj was just talking about how he went and dissected all this different kind of music he was listening to how the you know the organ was played how how he was went through country music rock pop all that stuff so he came from a different background than mm-hmm. I did. Um, we, you know, I, I was listening to obviously like the sixties, seventies, that kind of stuff. I was listening to hip hop, you know, in right. the nineties, and I was really into that stuff. But everybody in our band comes from a different place musically, so it's actually it's it it actually that actually fits into why PJ is such a great addition to our band because our band sort of does has the sound of like a bunch of people who listened to all different kinds of music right. you know we, right. we're already bringing in a bunch of different different influences and throwing them together and writing songs and coming up with this one thing now here comes pj and he comes from an understanding of all these different aspects that he intentionally went through and dissected mm-hmm. um and so he really fits into our band in that way because he comes from a, such a wide perspective right. of listening, of really trying to understand. And like his analytical mind, he, he, he like is very analytical in terms of how he thinks about music. So like mm-hmm. he, and he appreciates a bunch of different kinds, you know, so instead of just being like, oh, I like this, I'm gonna listen to it, I like, and like really get that in his blood, he was doing, he was like almost making himself like, you know, and understand music that mm-hmm. he wasn't naturally coming into contact with. And he seems like he has that. like a really, and I don't know if, if, you're, if you're the opposite, but he seems like he has like a micro approach and everything. Yes. Like he's like, I was listening to how the keys were getting hit. I was listening to this. Yeah. And, and from what I'm hearing, from, I don't, I don't want to say this, like I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're kind of like, I'm hearing the final product, like the overall song. Very and astute. he's hearing like yeah. how the rim shot sound right. sounds like, or how the cymbal sounds it, on this record. It is sort of like, it's interesting, it is sort of like a, like a yin and yang between the two of us. Like he, yeah, he gets into the micro and I'm getting that from him. Mm-hmm. You know, being around him and under, I'm getting more of that from him. And, and I really like you know i'm i'm come from a more song perspective and like one time he was he was he was like you analyze bands the way i analyze drummers you know Mm -hmm. and so like i think of like a band and their trajectory as an artist right and what they were doing and how they changed what they were doing over time they're not writing the same song over and over again and Mm -hmm. like the way that the people's in that band's lives affected their music. Those were things that were interesting to me when I was very young right. and, and continue to be. And I, you know, I write a lot of songs for the band and just for, and for other people. Mm-hmm. And just, I really 
love songwriting. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do actually, I think a lot about like the final product. Right. And I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I would say I'm a little more macro and Peter's a little more micro, but we're giving those things to each other sure. in the last year. Um, you know, just just from that standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, from of, of what it is to be in a band and right. what it is to be an artist at this time. Because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of great musicians out there. Yeah. But making people care and moving people on like an emotional level with your playing and as well with your what you're saying and who you are as like a as an artist those those are the things that like allow for longevity because mm-hmm. you can have you you could buy a hit song yeah you know yeah. and and hopefully i can sell one to you yeah. but no <laughs> but but like but that's i mean that is it's very true you know like not i'm not saying anyone can buy a hit song but People can't. Somebody you know out there has a song on the radio that is a hit that like is purchased and yeah. and they just have a voice that they can sell it and they have a label that paid the it's great great musicians to put the band together and like all that and that's great. But like the only thing that matters at that point is another hit is another hit. You know, right, right. and so we're fortunate that we've gotten to a point where we have this, uh, what we were talking about before, this community of fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and those fans really care. Like when we play, like we played two nights at the Beacon, we, we were very conscious not to be repeating, you know, more than like one or two songs from night to night. Cause we know c- certainly like we were talking, I, I, ta- I was talking to Warren Haynes about this one time, like, you know, some people how how do you choose when to play soul shine you know right, right. like right because so, you have like your your heavy hitters right your quote-unquote heavy right. hitters that you're like if these people came one night yeah out of these two like they want to hear wish i knew you right, right? right. like they want to hear or like more all my more, friends more like, so than one night out of these two it's like for some people this is their night out this year you know right. what I mean? Like, depending right. on where you are, depending on sure. where they are financially, you know, whatever it is. Like, some people, like, they got a babysitter. They got this. They, they spent months planning for this night. And if you want to play that, you want to give them the night that they were looking for. Right. Right. But you also don't want to play your, say, most popular song every, every night. night. Right. Um, and you certainly don't want to play, you know, like if you're doing two nights in the same place, you don't want to play more than any one or two songs. We we often try not to do any repeats, but like with Wish I Knew You this last year, it's sort of like we know that certain people are going to come and and they're going to want to hear it and it's going to be the only time they've seen us. And right. so we don't want to not play it. But mm-hmm. like... We so what was the thing you were saying with Warren Haynes? I well, just, you. no, no, that's, that was the issue. Like, we, when do you play Soul Shine? And he was saying, you know, some people, it's, you, you really gotta, you really have to understand that, like, some people, it's their only chance where they're gonna see you so this what, year. So what was the suggestion, so, though? <laughs> I mean, it, it was basically, like, it wasn't, like, do it every night, but it was, like, do it more than your other songs. You know, God, I got you. Um, I basically, got you. but yeah, but that that is something that you kind of, everybody has to kind of figure out for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and 
And so yeah, two nights at the beacon we're doing we're doing songs that like we haven't played in you know years now because we're going into this new record and we're playing a lot of the new stuff. So we also want to give the diehard fans stuff that they really haven't heard in a while. Right. Rather than like some of the other stuff that we were like favoring in the last part of last year. Right. 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 So it's it really is like a balance. You know, we have this we have this community that really wants to hear these deep cuts. And then we also have people that just found out about the band that have been listening to the new record. Right. And you don't want them to show up and be like, what, what is, is this music? Right. <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> are you, uh, are there any songs that you're tired of playing? No. Are you, like, are you tired of hearing Wish I Knew You or tired of playing it or anything? You know, no. no. It, so, like, getting down to the micro, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, every night, every time you play it, um, you have to focus on connecting with the bass player, connecting with the groove that PJ's doing on the bongos and the tambourine, connecting with the skanky guitar, and connecting with every little thing. It's just as important tonight as it was last night as it was the first time we played it. You know, right. like, you're in, in the atomic moments of the at the atomic level in these little moments of music you know you still have to focus on setting that groove and playing with the band and mm-hmm. playing with the people and putting that energy out there and so you can't just phone it in right. because you've done it a thousand times and it almost doesn't feel like you've just done it a thousand times because you really are you know focused in the micro elements of the music, making sure that you're in with the bass player, making sure that you're locked in and providing this groove. Right, right, um, right. The, um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, I was going to ask you something where, about the so- about songwriting, uh, totally lost my train of thought. But you, so let me, well you had mentioned, you had mentioned the idea of, of like you write songs and, and so how do you approach songwriting as a as a drummer are you are you playing on are you writing on piano or are you writing on different instruments I write a lot on guitar mm-hmm. um, and yeah I come like I think songwriting for me like my strength in songwriting is like lyrics and melody of the lyrics mm-hmm. um, and so you know I, I it has evolved over time you know I started out writing a lot on guitar um, I don't really play piano, but like I, you know, I can. I moved into like kind of making, making tracks and you know figuring this out as I go. Right. Different. And are you writing for it. the revivalists, or are you writing for other stuff on your own? I'm writing for the revivalists. Um, I'm writing a lot for the revivalists. I mean, basically, any at this point, if I write a song and the re- and the guys in the revivalists like it. It goes to the revival. It goes to the revival. Right. You know, um, they have right of first refusal. <laughs> yeah, right. I, and it's like it. It is. It's my band. If they, I'm proud of, I put I, I write from a very personal perspective. I'm mm-hmm. not usually just trying to like write like say a hit song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like for hit song's sake. I'm trying to like really say something personal. Right. So I want those to go to the band. You know, I mm-hmm. want that to be our outlet. I want that that's kind of like where I where I started. And right. and um but, you know, we have so many songs. When we went to when we went to go start making Take Good Care, we had sixty songs. 
Um, and that was just where we stopped making the list. Um, because we were like, if it's not in the top 60, then it's probably not going to go on the record. Um, so then we whittled it down to about 30, which we sent over to Dave Cobb, and then we whittled it down from there. But, uh, but you know, so there's a lot left on the, on the table. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, by the time we go to make another record, we'll have 150 yeah, songs, yeah, yeah. you know. So, so I... Do, ever, do any of those songs ever see the light of day? Like, if they don't go on a record? Um, you know... Sometimes, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've I've given them. I've I've had some, uh, you know, some songs written that I have had a, other let other people record, okay. and I've been fortunate enough to have somebody else record. I should say. Nice. Um, and yeah, I love when that happens. I love to. I love any time a song can get a life. You right. know, a song and it can come out of the Dropbox graveyard, and <laughs> people can hear it. Yeah. You know. Um, Dave, as you know, as you know, has written a number of songs for Galactic, and right. he's you know wrote, he's written some stuff for with like Lyrics Born mm -hmm. and other stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of it really just it kind of sits around because we could put well, we will put it on the next record. I mean, we had a B side from from City of Sound mm -hmm. that we brought in to this, and Dave Cobb heard it. And was like, I think we should change it around, change the whole vibe up, and that's "Hate to Love You." And it's like, it's a very different song originally, and oh, yeah. it's like much more bouncy. And like, I love that version too. Mm -hmm. I honestly hope that version can someday get get see the light of day, just because I think that that kind of pulls back the curtain on what it is a song. You know, right. like a song can be so many different things, and there can be so many different versions of like as we know when when you hear. Covers. When you hear Stevie Wonder play a Beatles song, right. it's like it's a whole new thing, right. you know. Or any, or you know, Donny Hathaway played Jealous Guy. It's like these are great different versions of great songs, and I think that like it's it's a fun idea to me to have like the same band putting out different versions of the same songs in different ways over time. Right. We don't really have any plan to to make that happen yet, but I think that that is like. That's one really creative aspect of something that we can do that I haven't seen a lot of people do. Right. Um, you know, Future Islands did that with some of their mm -hmm. with some of their songs where they put out like the alternate, alternate version. version. Yeah. yeah, and I love that. It's like these days people want to understand the artist. You know, they want to get closer with with the advent of like social media and like used to be like Led Zeppelin comes to your town and it's like. Oh my God! Here are these guys that we've just heard about in the flesh, and they're yeah. real people. It's like this God type, you know. They're, you're looking yeah. at it's like this, like these are supernatural beings. Nowadays, everybody wants to like everybody wants to see like your behind the scenes footage. You're all, you know, they want to follow you on Facebook and Instagram, mm -hmm. whatever. They they want to know you as an artist more, um, and where yep. you're coming from. So I think doing that with your songs is a really interesting way to do that. Say, I think so hey, too. this is maybe the original way, or this, these are four different ways in which we thought it could come out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that that also gets to like how we made this record, um, kind of having sixty songs, and then having we had a lot of it was done with Dave Cobb, and then we also worked with Andrew Dawson and Dave Bassett, um, and. You know, it's basically like if you look at a band as an art project, mm -hmm. and the band can be like the band can be like your paintbrush, right? You're making, you're writing the songs, 
but the producer can choose from this palette of songs to say we're going to make this kind of a painting. Right. And in th this day and age, with this advent of singles, you have all these different ways of releasing music that are not an album. So, like, the idea about why invest so much money to make a 15-song or whatever it is album and package it like an album rather than just putting out singles and let people just choose what they like. Right. Um, and to me, a good answer for that is, you know, a good you have to have a good artistic reason to put out an album. Right. And so saying, okay, well, we, we wanted to work with this producer and this producer heard these songs and they, it made them excited to work on these songs and they brought something to the table. So it's like they're choosing the, from this wide palette of songs, stuff that excites them. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to go in and say, hey, we really want to record this song. Like, we really think it's a smash. And the producer's like, I don't really get it. You know, like, <laughs> I guess I'll, we'll just do it this way. Or, you know, right. they're not excited about it. That's that's not a fun creative atmosphere. Right. And I think you guys have done that really well because every record has a theme. Yeah. Like, it feels a different, like, it just feels a certain way. Which is interesting. And it all feels like you guys, but it's, like, it has its, you know. It's I, I actually agree because, it, and, but it, and it's interesting because, like, they're not concept records. You right. know? Like, they, they all have a different, there's an evolution to them. Mm -hmm. But... Some, like I said, like some of the song, like that "Hate to Love You," which I think fits squarely in the feeling of "Take Good Care," yep. is a B-side from "City of Sound." Mm -hmm. You know, and like there's songs that were written before this, way before "City of Sound," even like all my friends, like Dave started writing that song when he was actually in his twenties. <laughs> that's really? the, that's the line, you know, I'm in I'm my twenties. Yeah. 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 That has yeah. been, that verse, that idea has been kicking around in various forms for seven years, mm -hmm. you know, since he was like, you know, and so, so, you know, it's interesting that we've, that the albums do have a trajectory. And I think that that comes from, you know, we like to, we are putting ourselves into it as right. much as possible. Mm -hmm. And, and we're trying to make art that feels honest. And as we grow, it grows with us, right. even if the songs are actually six or seven years old. Mm -hmm. So, so to, to circle back to your question, like the, those songs, it's like, do you want to, do you want to, if they just sit around after, if they don't get recorded, you know, you could put them out with somebody else, or you could let somebody, or you could just keep them in the in the in the group of songs that maybe on a, a wonderful part of a future revivalist record. You know, there's right. a, they hopefully will get a new right. life. Yeah, yeah. And, or or maybe they'll be released in the same fashion that they that they were originally written. It just didn't fit on this set of songs. Right. You know, Willie right. Nelson. I read his autobiography recently, and in his autobiography, he talks about. How he wrote some of these songs that like buoyed him for his whole career were written in like a week in Houston before anybody like knew who he was. It's crazy. And he put them on, you know, the same song on multiple different records. And he had no qualms about that <laughs> because he was like, it, this song fits in this set of songs for what I'm trying to do on this record. And that was in the 50s, and that was in the 70s, and that was like, you know, in the right. 80s or 90s. And it was, 
from that perspective, it's like that, that is an artistic reason to reuse, re-record, and recontextualize a song. So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, you know, I used to, when I was younger, I would think like, oh, you know, just write another song, you know? Yeah. But, but that's, that misses the point yep. of like what we're doing as, as an artist, why make a record? Right. There's two, two things I want. One, what I, like after you saying all that, that I, and this is just my opinion, but I believe that the fact that you are witnessing the process of these songs being written, understanding that some of them may be four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years old, right? Whether, even if you are not doing the songwriting, right? You're just part of the process. Mm-hmm. You're, you're behind the scenes. You understand what's going on with these. I think the level of connection to the music is so much higher than if I hired you to play drums on my tour for a bunch of songs that I wrote that you didn't record, and I'm like, all right, Andrew, here's the parts. We're going to go on this big tour. Even if it's like all the venues that you play with the revival, same thing, right? right? same thing. Like, I have to believe that there's less of a connection than you understanding. Like, it's it's almost like, it's almost like, the, like having a child versus yeah. like, Watching someone else's kid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. No, so it's interesting. Like babysitting you, someone else's kid, it's right? It's interesting that you say that because, yes, I mean, I, like, coming from a macro, more macro place, like, that is always what I wanted to do. Like, mm-hmm. I always wanted to be, like, in a band where, like, we were writing songs and we were playing and we were fully invested. Like, that, it was, it honestly, like, I, like I said, I studied music business in school because I never thought it was a realistic thing to become a musician right you know um but it it just didn't occur to me i knew so many great musicians like i saw them growing up that like that it was just like it seems i didn't understand how to navigate that world of being just a player right and it wasn't it was the thing that was it wasn't as interesting to me as like being in a band i loved bands i loved guys that were all in it together mm-hmm. and that kind of thing but yeah, I mean, it's interesting because then if you get hired to play somebody else's music and you're trying to put your spirit into it, there, there, is, a, there is like a creativity and a love of like putting your spirit into somebody else's thing in a way that nobody else can, that, you, that can connect you to that music in that way, right. for sure. But, like, and, but at the end of the day, your goals are different. Like, it's just like... You know, it's it's like making, am I making the person who has decided to give me this shot happy? And it's like, I want to play it this way is not super important <laughs> if the person that is hiring you is like, I don't want you to play it that way. Right. Then you're just like, cool, what do you want me to do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're, there, is, there is a less invested type of thing, type of thing in that. But in in a band setting, you have to have that same like open openness and not being married to I want to do it this way. Right. You know you, that's why you have to be in a group with people that you respect mm-hmm. artistically. Right. Because when you say I think this is cool, I want to play it this way, and you know the guitar player turns around or whoever turns around and says. Yeah, I'm not really feeling that. Like, yeah. I think you should do something else. Right. Then, then you have to be like, cool. You know, like, yeah. great, well, I'll do something let's else. Let's try something else. How and, does this work? And or? that comes from a, 
that comes from you know practicing and being prepared and knowing that you're not only going to have one idea and being you know having having different levels of things you can do mm-hmm. in, for any one situation right um, you know just recently we were playing some we were playing an event in Cabo right and it was for people who we'll just say they have a lot of money okay <laughs> and like Jimmy Iovine was there and Peyton Manning was there nice. and Peyton Manning's from New Orleans after the show we're all hanging out with Peyton Manning and just talking about New Orleans just you know whatever right. and Dave asks him you know you're going you're going out there to 90,000 people in the stadium you know in millions of people on TV and what do you do to make sure that you feel good because like you if you don't if you go out there and you don't feel good then those 90,000 people can feel like they're standing on your chest right rather than lifting you up and he said preparation you know he said yeah. this is this is a, it's about preparation it is you know i'm i'm not the the smartest or best or whatever football player that ever was but i figured if i could out prepare these guys mm-hmm. then i would prevail wasn't there a big thing with him in, initially where they were like they don't even know if this dude's going to be able to make it in the nfl and he, and now they're like he may be the brightest one of the greatest quarter, quarterbacks ever greatest quarterback yeah. of all time but even like his 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 uh his football mind oh, may be yeah. like the greatest like they're like he may be the the greatest Football thinker of all time. If I mean, I wouldn't sense. be I wouldn't be surprised because that is the, that is the thing that like he's you know he. So then the other thing he said was when you get there and they're saying things like you might be the greatest football mind of all time. You don't stop doing those things that you did to get you there. Get you, you still there. need to out prepare everybody so that when you walk onto the field and ninety thousand people are there, you don't have you have a complete you have a confidence that you have prepared. And you know what you're going to do, mm-hmm. and you're ready for split second decisions, right. and you're ready for almost anything they can throw at you, so that you're not, so that there's no fear involved. Right. And and you know, on a in a musical situation, be practicing so that you're ready, so that you know when things come out of left field, when you when when if you're in an improvisational situation, or no matter what the you know the organ players Leslie blows up or whatever it is yeah yeah right (laughs) at at, uh, 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 the knitting factory in in New York yeah Yeah. it's like that kind of stuff is gonna happen you know so (laughs) if you if you just can sit there comfortably and and adjust and play you know because you've practiced right um, then then that is the kind of thing that 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 is where that is where you can really play you know Mm -hmm. you You've drilled it in 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 rehearsal to get down below the conscious level to really be free to play the thing. So you're not right. oh no, what's going to happen? You're not tense. You know you're you're loose and fluid. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that kind of preparation. The other thing I want to say about that um, interaction with Peyton Manning was that we were all standing there and we were all talking to this guy about New Orleans. We like New Orleans. Oh, you're football player that's cool you know and of all of us Dave was like here's one of the greatest at a thing that he does and I want to learn something from him right so that alone just as like a as a lesson too you know sometimes you're in these situations where you meet 
some of the greatest in their field, and maybe it's not your field. Right. But you can you can learn from anybody in any moment, and I think that the idea of always having a an eye for learning, always being prepared to learn more, and not thinking like. You know, that, that is actually what, uh, again, what Peyton Manning said. Like, you know, not thinking like, I'm already here, so I'm good. I'm done. I've arrived. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. It's like, but how do you learn more in any given situation? Right. Don't think that you know it all. You'd be, you could always learn more. Mm-hmm. And you could always, you know, learn from anyone. Such a valuable Even, even if it's what not to do. Or yeah. if it's what to do. or if, Yeah, I mean, even if you ask somebody a question... Like, you know, essentially, Dave said, what do you do to, to prepare for a game? And he said, prepare. You right. know, like, <laughs> so is that, like, even if you feel like you know the answer to the question, there's still, like, if you know 75% of what they're going to say, mm-hmm. fine. You know, right. but there's still another 25% or 10% or whatever that maybe they'll say something in a way you never really thought about it before that mm-hmm. will make you rethink about things that you felt like you already knew right you know um i mean that's one of the reasons i listen to this podcast right. it's like it's you can there's so many there's so many great like little you ask a lot of times some you know the same the same question over 500 episodes right. to a bunch of different drummers mm-hmm. right and what do you do to practice what do you do to prepare and everyone gives a slightly different answer or a drastically different answer yeah you know so that i mean that spirit of of always being ready to learn mm-hmm. is, I think, a huge important part of being a musician. And I bl- and to piggyback on what you're saying, I think there's so many there's so many parallels in between being a professional musician, being a professional athlete, being even whatever a high level you know being an actor, actress, whatever, or a high level what executive or yeah. something. You know, it's like it's all it's like sustained. Hard work, consistency, preparation, you know, over years. And surrounding yourself with people that you trust and people that you know are good at their their strengths make up for your weaknesses. Like, if you're a band and you're not good at finances, make sure your manager's good at finances. (laughs) You know, like... What would you... What's one of your weaknesses? What do you um, think? Well, I mean, certainly, like... I mean, b- beyond all the business, the the business stuff. I think that we're pretty good at that, but mm-hmm. like we're not, you know, the business management, the forecasting, all that stuff. Right. We're pretty good at that. We're not great at it. Uh-huh. So like having those people on board to kind of guide the ship. Right. Um, I mean, I through, com- I'm not great at the micro level. Right. You know, and having PJ join us is is has been really great for me um, to learn that kind of stuff you know I've always been kind of coming from a songwriter's perspective and you know being a drummer helps to be a songwriter because or being a songwriter you know vice versa Mm -hmm. because you got to think musically you got to think about serving the song but getting into the micro level of practicing and what to practice and how to practice like that I've I've had various you know issues throughout the years where you sort of hit these plateaus Mm -hmm. and you think like i don't i don't know what direction to go now and then but you know living in new orleans and it's like getting to know alvin and stanton and like these guys like i sometimes wouldn't take advantage of those 
those connections and be like, I, we would hang out and we'd just be hanging out with friends. And right. like, we would talk about drums, and, but I wouldn't always be like, I wouldn't pick their brain to find something new to practice. Or, right. or I would go, you know, I, could, I would go to online or whatever, but having, having PJ, who it comes from a very micro practice type thing, I feel like I've gotten a wealth of new um, ways to practice that right. like, I never had before. Nice. So you talk about the the forecasting and and you know the business side of things. So for you, for you guys now, like what's the goalpost for you, or maybe maybe you personally like with the band, or what's the goalpost for the band? Yeah, that's, right that's and it a, always moves, but like yeah, what, it always what is it moves. Now? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think that like so there's like there's we want to we want to expand into Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're gonna go play in Europe for the first time in February, mm-hmm. and we're playing small rooms, right? Just like new market stuff, you which, know. Which it's pretty cool. Too. Which you got to. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm not saying yeah. it's not cool. It's great, but like we want to grow that. We want right. to we want to expand what we do to be, you know, a more global thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we and we want to go. We want to play everywhere. We want right. to play on the moon. Right. They can grow plants on the far side of the moon now. So. <laughs> We can. They so can have shows. So they can have shows. Exactly. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean that expanding to a more kind of global market. Um, you know, having had success of one song, and the, you know th- this record seems to be doing. You know, seems to be doing well. It's right. it's it's, ho- it's always going to be hard to recreate. The kind of success that wish I knew you had, right? No matter what, you know. So like, you know, doing that again and mm-hmm. again and again is right. definitely a goalpost. I think you know, bringing the band to basically a level where, to me, the goals are more artistic now than mm-hmm. business. You know, right. um, it's not like Madison Square Garden. Oh, definitely it is. Right. You know, I mean, definitely we want to play Madison Square Garden. We want to play the Gorge. We want, but if we right. can stay true, this is you can. This is what you can't. I I don't think of it as like the goal is to play the garden. I right. think of it as because you can't work to that goal, right? The goal is to make the most authentic art to move people. Those are the kinds of things that will make you play the garden. You know what I mean? You got your your goals can't be can't be end around. Just like you say, people don't people don't get into playing the drums because they want to make money. Mm-hmm. Like some people do, but you've never heard of them. Right. Because right. They, they, because they don't love the drums, you know. Right. We we love the music and we want to make we, we basically making money as a business is good in so much as it allows us to live our lives and pay for houses and actually be a band. Mm-hmm. So that it can feed the creativity, you know that right. is the goal: is 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 to make songs that move people right. and play them for ever increasing audiences. Right. You know. Right, right, right. Just like that. That's. I think that's all a band can do. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the pinnacle. You know, the right. bands like people like like Paul Simon has been making great music his whole career. Right. That's hard to do. It's right. really hard to be a band for for forty years and not put out some really bad stuff at some point. Yeah. So, <laughs> so our goal and is to try ago, to avoid that. And years ago, like you had three years to write a record. Yeah. And you didn't have to do anything. Yeah. Like 
you go and you write a record for three years or two years or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But now it's like you got to tour and then you got to come home and then you got to work on the record or work on songs and then yeah. go back out on the road. Yeah. I'm telling you that like you already know this, but like well, I think that I think it's harder now to make a good song because you're so distracted and fragmented doing all these other things. Uh, which I don't, you know, like if if Wish I Knew You came out in 1995. Like you guys would have sold fifteen million records, right? You know what yeah, I mean, right? And you would have been like, oh, not that you could rest on your laurels, but you're like, we'll go out, we'll tour, we'll support the record, we'll come home. We got cash, we got time, we have all this stuff. Now let's work on, let's take two or three years, and to do another record, to do another great record. That's just never. Even if I think that even if that was like even if we made a proportional amount of money to make the seven of us able to t- or eight of us now able to take three years off. I don't. That's not how we operate. Like right. when you're, if you're a band, and you're not playing shows, and you're not writing, and you're not working together, then you're just guys that know each other. I don't mean. You know? taking, I don't mean. Ta- <laughs> I mean taking three day, three years off on the road. Is yeah, yeah. Like, okay, but in, like in, together in working, working but, on the but record. The thing is, like we we write all the time. It's like it's a muscle. So, so let like, me ask. I'm going to ask you this, and I and I'm sorry for interrupting you. Uh. Do you think that's because of the error, the error that you're in? Like, are you a product of that environment? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's hard to imagine being abandoned in any other environment. True. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes and no. Definitely, that's like that's how we make mo- enough money touring. Is how we make enough money to like keep eight people and however many crew employed and right. keep good people around. And but. It also is how we connect. It's how we connect with our fans. It's mm-hmm. how we connect with people. It's how we connect with each other. You know, not you know, not on just like a friendship level, but like it is what we love to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so like we come home, we we take two months off. Like we're getting pretty antsy to get back out there. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. and it's not because we're feeling it in the bank account. Yeah. It's because we just want to play. Right. You know, yeah. um, so yeah, but and I think that like. We do a lot of writing. You know, Dave and I do a lot of writing on the road. Mm-hmm. Dave and I do a, like, and then we get home, and we, you know, that's that's what we do every day. Whether it's together or by yourself, or you know, you practice and write a song. Those are like my thing. Like, wake up. These are the things. My my general life goals. And sometimes I'm better at them than other times. You know, but if I can wake up, do like wake up have some type of meditation mm-hmm. exercise practice write a song like if i can do those things in a day right that's the formula for a happy life <laughs> you know what i mean like and even if the song doesn't turn out good every day sometimes you you it's actually funny because when I'm, i found that writing a song sometimes you the first song on our record um other side of paradise. Mm-hmm. I wrote that song at Wakarusa, like on in a junky days in. Right. And uh, and the next day I showed it to Rob and I said I wrote this funny little song last night, just not thinking of it as a serious, almost thinking of it as like kind of a joke. Like right. and then just I don't know whatever mind space I was in, I just had like written these these words and I kind of didn't take it that seriously. And then I played it for Rob and he was like. 
that's just a good song, you know? And so then it, it kind of developed and, and became, I had then took it, you know, and finished it. And like, it, it is a very deep song. It means a lot to me, but I think maybe I was, I was deflecting. It's like, you don't think sometimes that the thing that, that you did is like one of the better things you've ever done. You think right. it's like, oh, we'll just see how that is tomorrow. And yeah. the, the only song that I've, like the first song that I wrote, that was like, I wrote it, and then another artist, like, just in my room by myself, and another artist decided to record it, as opposed to like writing it with another artist. Right. Um, I wrote the song in about five minutes, and then I thought to myself, I'll put it down, see if there's anything good in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I like woke up and I was like, oh, well, I guess it's done. You know, the, sometimes, you don't you don't go into it thinking this is the best thing I've ever done. Right, right. And so that's showing up every day, and writing and trying to just get be creative, trying to yeah. find different ways it's to a, make creativity is a habit. Yeah, I believe that. Find ways to be creative. I mean, I I started to um, a few years ago. I started to like take solo piano music and play it backwards through my record player and find some kind of loop, right? That I found interesting. And then I would limit myself to the notes that were in this backwards loop. And I would say, okay, make something with that today. A lot of days, didn't go great. <laughs> and then a few times, it, it's some of my favorite stuff I've ever made. Right. You know? Like it, and that was just exercises in creativity. Right. Right. I think that's, that's so important to just constantly... Cause I, and I've talked about this before. Like, you know, we think that it, once we get a new piece of equipment will be more creative or you know like once I get a new I get to buy this new snare drum or I got to buy this new camera and it's like no if you want to start making videos you know grab your iPhone and start yep. making videos if yep. you want to start recording grab your iPhone and start recording yeah and then like as you, you got to build the creative muscle you don't need to go spend you know all this money on something yeah or whatever it is totally um one last question I, I you were talking about the, how many people are in the band plus you have crew and all that kind of stuff how much external pressure do you feel knowing that you have all of these people sort of depending on you because I, I know that like as businesses grow I've experienced it myself where you're like, you're, you're like I have employees and they're, these people are responsible for me to pay them mm -hmm. to take care of their families so how do you feel that in the band and the crew and um, it's really interesting because a, the pressure is dispersed over like the 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 seven owners of the LLC, right? right? So we're all in this together. So if I'm having a stress a stressful day, then like I can just not worry about it today, and I I know that I'm not. It doesn't all fall on me, right? right. So there's that aspect so that that diffuses some of the pressure. Also, like we really try to. It's important to have good people that you mm -hmm. trust, you know. So like. It's, and it's important to create an atmosphere where people feel respected and taken care of. So, honestly, a lot of the time, I feel like we work for our crew. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. Like they're, they're the ones waking up early and getting the stuff on stage and getting, you know, we had a, we had a few a stretch of shows last week where we went from Philly to Boston to New York to do the Today Show, and they were getting about two hours of sleep every night. And, like, that, the, what they're putting in, in terms of that kind of work, is I 
appreciate it so much. You right. know, we need to make sure that they're taken care of. So, like, if they have any issues, we we really want to go out of our way to make sure that they feel like loved. They right. feel no, they don't feel stressed out as much as we can make that happen. So that's really where, like, to me, the the pressure comes from. But also, you know, having good management that understands your expenses right and making sure that you trust your management to make those decisions for you and those that's how you can diffuse that pressure mm-hmm. if you if you know you need to keep an eye on the whole thing because if things start to get spiral out of control and you're just not looking then you could be losing money or not making money while everyone is getting paid right you know <laughs> and it, it leaves this this tiny slice of the pie for for the per- people that are making the creative you know endeavor that ev- that is keeping everyone employed but if you're spending all the money to keep everyone employed that balance doesn't work either so it, like I w- like I've been saying you know you need to have people you trust mm-hmm. you need to have people that you know have your best interests at heart and it because it's a mutual thing if they if they do a poor job of say managing the band and the band breaks up nobody gets paid, nobody gets paid. <laughs> you know so it, it it really is about finding the right people and, and that and finding trust and cultivating trust and having you know smart people and and that alleviates pressure you know right. just like just like with preparation you know that, that that's your that's your business preparation right, right? right, right. so you you don't feel the pressure when you walk out to those 90,000 people in a stadium because you know that like your line is doing a good job you know and, and actually that's yeah. that sometimes that's that's like you know after long days of that kind of 2 hours of sleep like it's like a quarterback taking the line out you know yeah. like we got to go have a nice dinner like yeah. we got to go you know we got to go do something nice for the crew. They're mm-hmm. not just, it's not just like, oh, you're here, you're getting paid, this is your job. Right. You know, they, they need to be, they need to feel appreciated. So mm-hmm. that alleviates that pressure, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is like you're, you're employing people now. Right. And so you, you gotta, you know, you, you have to be aware if like you're taking six months off that that's going to affect them. Right, right. The biggest thing I'm pulling out of this too is like just get make sure you have people around you that are you need good people in your camp, you know, like in your band, your, in your management, right. in your in your in your especially your lawyer. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can tell you when the other people are not doing a good job. But exactly. yeah, especially exactly. your lawyer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's it is really because it's too much on any one person. It's too yeah. or any group of even just like when you're trying to be creative, you need to you need to let those people lift those things off your shoulders, mm-hmm. so that you can, you know, you can do your formula for for a good life. You can wake up, meditate, <laughs> exercise, practice, and write a song. None of those are responding to a thousand emails. None of those are right. are are you know doing. Even though you have to do that stuff, obviously from time to time, but like none of those are are directly running a business even though you are running a business right we're, if you can be the board of directors rather than the ceo mm-hmm. 
in a in a band scenario. I think that that is that is at least for us how we like to operate. You right. know how we how we would how we would like to operate. You know, you're you're involved in knowing what's going on and making sure it's going right, and that, and everybody has a responsibility to the board to make sure that it's going right. Right. And the board can change out the CEO if necessary and mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. But to be I but to be the person actually running the ship, you know. It's too much for somebody to do to then also have energy to be creative. Right, right. It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, I could sit here and talk to you for hours. So yeah, we can do this all day. <laughs> yeah. um, but I want to thank you for one for always like you're, you always you know support the podcast and everything. Oh, and I love it. I really appreciate that. And two, like I said it before, but I want to like publicly congratulate you guys on all the success that you had. I like. And I swear to God, man, every time like I see you guys doing a bigger venue or getting on a different TV show or your songs on the radio, like it's like a it's like a victory for me, and I have nothing to do with it, and I'm completely separate from it. But like I feel like it's like my hometown team. That means and we're not a even lot. from the same town. No, I know that means a lot. <laughs> one thing I do, one more thing I do want to say about that is like, and 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 I've mentioned it before with like the community of people that have. I, I say built themselves around us, you right. know, because uh, we didn't build it. They just came. Um, that is how so... I feel like that is how those people feel. That is how so many people in our in our community feel. That we're their hometown band for some reason. I, yeah. I think that that comes from genuine... Like us genuinely caring for those people. Right. You know, like... We 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 did play in a lot of their hometowns when there were only ten people yeah, in yeah. the bar and and you know we really truly appreciate them coming and telling their friends and telling more friends and telling more friends and it growing into this thing. So like a lot of people really do have that like that that feeling of like. That they really that they that there's an ownership right. of this thing. Yeah, um, and I think that that comes from I think that comes from like a true relationship of us caring for them and them caring about us. Right. So. I well, you guys are doing a you guys are doing a good job at it because it's working. So I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. Congratulations. Thank you again for for you know taking the time to chat. Anytime. And uh, congrats on everything. Thank you. Thanks, brother. There you have it, Andrew Campanelli and PJ Howard from The Revivalist. Check them out. They're a great, great band if you haven't heard them already. And if you want to check out Andrew's first episode, that is episode 60. I'm also going to do another episode with just PJ because I want to get his backstory. I want to I want to talk about his influences and his upbringing because Andrew and PJ come from two totally different worlds and them coming together make this one unique sound. But I want to get both sides of the story. So I've already had Andrew by himself, so I want to get PJ as well. So keep an eye out for that for all the show notes check out drummersresource.com forward slash session 467 and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon peace